We are in a series called uh, The Next Step, and if you were with us last Sunday, you heard Pastor Tim open up with Genesis chapter 12, and he covered verses 1 through 9. Uh, This morning you heard read verses 10 through 20, and um, so that's where we are going to be hanging out for our time this morning. So if you recall, uh, last week we heard about how Abram received this call. And the Lord said, go from the land where your family has been and travel to Cana. And we highlighted the emphasis and the, the great faith that Abram had in that moment. And that he took his family and he set out for Canaan. Then we heard this morning that sometime after he arrives, that a famine comes to the land. And so now Abram is left with this choice of, okay, well, I just arrived to the land that God had called me, and now there's a famine. And so sustainability, the ability of my family, right, to stay here is now in jeopardy. It's now in question. And so he packs up, and he goes to Egypt. And he becomes a sojourner in that land. And he becomes a foreigner in that land. And we understand, and I think if any of us, any of you have traveled, right, being in a different country or being in a different land, there's some anxiety, there's some, okay, uncertainty. I think a little more so back then than for us now, you know, um, husbands, I don't think we really have to be as afraid that our lives will be taken um, so that another man can marry our, our, our wife. Um, but that was a part of the culture back in Egypt and back in that day. And so, you know, thankfully we've um, become a little more civilized and gotten past that. Um, so there were some real fears, you know, that there wasn't kind of this acceptance of foreigners um, in the same way uh, that Foreigners are tolerated, maybe, today. And so, the famine and Abram's response to that, what it really becomes is it becomes a challenge to what God's word was to Abram in the beginning. And it's circumstantial, right? I mean, the text doesn't say whether the famine came from from God, whether it came from the enemy trying to interfere. I mean, it's a pretty fair assumption. Maybe it's just the nature of circumstances, right? And so there's no no kind of commentary or um, evaluation of Abram's actions to go to Egypt. It just, the text just tells us that's what happened. And so, in Abraham's perspective and his understanding, right, he, he says, all right, we can't survive here right now because there's a famine, so let's go to Egypt. And there's a lot of reasons we could put there in terms of the call to, to go to Cana and to settle there and great nations coming out of there, right? And so maybe everyone's like, well, if we stay here, we're going to die, and then God's promise won't happen anyway, so they make the trip. Maybe he's like, well, it's a famine, like nothing, like Nothing's going to change about this in the near future, so let's go. For whatever reason, we don't know, but 
he makes that journey. The place where we get into trouble, or Abram gets into trouble, is when they get to Egypt and he decides to inform his wife. He requests of her to lie, kind of, about her relationship with him. We know through other texts in in Genesis chapter 20 that Sarai is is really Abram's half-sister. So for him to say to her, tell them you're my sister is, you know, kind of true. It's a lot more truer than if I said Christina was my sister, because that's not true at all. Um, You know, so it's kind of true, but it's not the full truth. And it is with the intention and the motivation to deceive the Egyptians. So we know that it comes from a place that's not trusting in God, but it's coming from a place that's trying to it's a place of survival for Abram. And so you can see he says to her, right, in, in, in the verse there, he says, Egyptians will see you. They will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Their relationship must be so interesting, right? That, like, he can say, like, I just think, uh, now, it's a good thing my wife isn't here. She probably didn't realize she'd be talked about as much. But, um, you know, if I were to say to my wife, like, just say this so that it goes well with me. My wife loves me very much. But I think she would look at me like I was crazy and be like, what? No, I am not doing that. Like, she would, there would be no convincing my wife to do something on that nature. And we know that Sarah is a pretty strong woman. I mean, she's, you know, like we read in other chapters of Genesis, like she talks to that servant girl, um, and she's just like, she laughs when God says, I mean, she, she seems like she's a pretty confident woman, and she's sure of herself. And here, she goes along with it. You know, she, she listens. And, and Abram, he's just saying like, he's like, that it may go well with me. And so, if my life is spared, then sure, you'll be okay, right? There's, there's no perception of what risk that puts her in. And it ends up being that she actually experiences a, a pretty significant struggle, right? She actually then gets taken as Pharaoh's wife. And that's a pretty significant um, struggle for her. And that, all right, well, she's a married woman, and now... She's in the harem of Pharaoh, and what comes with all of that? And that puts her at risk. And so together, they kind of walk into this situation, hoping that they'll be saved in some way, but only finding more consequence to their actions. This dynamic of hearing from God and then being tested or facing a challenge in relation to what God has spoken in our life is pretty common. I don't know if you could think, maybe there's other characters in the Bible. If you take a minute, what other characters in the, in the scriptures kind of face that pattern of hearing from God, being given a purpose, or being given a directive from God, and then immediately finding a challenge or a, a test to that? Can you think of anybody in particular? Jonah? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Yep. Who else? Jonah. 
Sorry. Gideon. Yep. Over here, there's some. Job. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking Adam and Eve, right? Like, go tend to this garden, and the next thing you know, there's no more garden for them to tend. Or um, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus. Noah, as somebody say. Yep. Yeah. Jesus, right? He's baptized and then is sent out into the wilderness for 40 days. Peter. Jesus just gets done telling him about, um, telling the disciples about their call to go forth. And then when he gets arrested, Peter denies him three times, right? Paul. Paul, he gets um, connected with Barnabas after his salvation moment. And then he ends up having to flee um, shortly thereafter because people are after him. Esther as well, right? She gets established as this queen. And then the Jews get put kind of in a place lives get threatened. And so there is this pattern. And if it's in the Old Testament, I would argue that it's still present for us today. That we still experience trials and challenges and tests. And where they come from, I don't know if that's as important as if as how we respond to them. Oftentimes we get, we want to ask the question, well why? And, and maybe Abram even asked that question. Why, God, is there a famine? You just called me here. But the why doesn't change the circumstances. It might help change understanding and meaning to what we're experiencing, which hopefully then we, I think we hope, gives us motivation to respond. But why doesn't often change our circumstances, nor change what action we're being asked to step into. So, when we experience something, understanding whether it's of God, whether it's of the enemy, whether it's just human nature and it's just culture, whatever, we can, we can look at that and we can evaluate that. But how we respond to it, how we engage, is truly the test. And we see with Abram that how he engages the famine, there's no evaluation that he goes to Egypt, right? So there's no critique on that. But how he chooses to self-preserve when he gets to Egypt, we find was out of his own strength, out of his own motivation, out of a place of deception, out of a lack of trust, and a lack of confidence. And As I was reflecting upon that, I kind of thought about how in that moment, thinking optimistically on behalf of Abram, that I wonder if he was trying to keep in mind the call, keep in mind the directive from God. And if he was, maybe it was this idea of saying, well, God told me this would be true. So if I go there and they kill me, then it can't be true. So if I tell them this, then I have a better chance of living, which would then allow me to ultimately fulfill what God said. And it becomes very easy to convince ourselves that we are responsible to protect and make what God spoke in our life happen. Instead of trusting God to, to make it happen and us to just walk in obedience and trust in God. 
And the thing that is required if we are to trust and walk in obedience is faith. And faith is a very difficult thing to have when we know something to be true because God spoke it and what we see almost seems like it's impossible for it to happen. And when we're in kind of that crossroad, we actually get stuck. And the thing that keeps us stuck is fear. Fear that maybe what God said won't be true. Fear of what others will think if we do something that to others seems irrational because we believe in this. It's fear. We see that with Abram. He's afraid of what will happen to him when he goes to Egypt. And that fear specifically is fear of man. He fears what man will do to him. And we all know and we all say, how many times do we say, God is bigger than any person in our life, right? So I don't think anybody would here would say that any one person is to be feared more than God. But yet we surrender to others and put ourselves in submission to the fear of others over putting ourselves in submission to the fear of God. I don't feel so bad about that because Abram did it and he's a pretty important guy. So, you know, I'm like, all right, well, if Abram did it, then I don't have to be so like, that's not judgmental. You know, like I'm not calling us out on that because I'm trying to be judgmental or critical. But it's like, oh yeah, this is something that's a real struggle for us as we walk out what God speaks in our life. Fear is significant, right? And Abram, you know, we look at Hebrews um, chapter 11. Turn there, and you can see um, it's right before kind of the testimony of the cloud of witnesses, right? Call that passage. Verse 8 in chapter 11, it says, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abram isn't remembered for his fear of man. He's remembered for his faith in going. And that's really important to keep in mind as we look at Abram, because we're not trying to say, oh, Abram did it wrong. No, it's, oh, I can really identify with Abram. I didn't really get this. Because I too have walked in the fear of man over walking in the fear of the Lord. And so it's not a statement of, it's not like, oh, don't do what he did, right? But it is saying that like, okay, this is a real struggle. And others who have gone before us have struggled with this too. 
My name's not going to show up in some sacred text, right? Abram's name did. And he's an important guy in the terms of the history of our faith and the ancestry of our faith. And he struggled with this. And so we can walk in the assurance and the confidence that like, okay, this is a real struggle. And so what's important about that for us is we continue to walk out what God has for us is that we don't allow shame and guilt to keep us in a cycle of fearing man. But that we can actually walk in freedom and we can walk through that fear of man and say, no, I'm going to trust God and believe in what he says in my life is true and not submit myself to the fear of others. So when we go and look at what Abraham was facing, right? When we look at the challenges there, we can see that in his own strength, there are natural consequences which, with, with which he faces. One, he loses his wife for a period of time, right? She's taken into Pharaoh. Two, he is rebuked by Pharaoh at the end of the text. And three, he is then escorted out of Egypt. Hopefully the famine was over by then, but we don't know. But he's kicked out. Now, there's two interesting factors here. And I point this out not to say that there's some benefit to what Abram did, but to point it out to say that when we want to justify something, when we want to justify our fear of man over fear of the Lord, we can find a way. Because there's two benefits, actually, that Abram experienced. One— his life technically was spared. So did the deception work? Sure. Because he thought he might lose his life. Did he? No. Two, he got an increase in servants, livestock, and other resources. So he actually left richer than he came. And all of that because by allowing Sarai to be taken as Pharaoh's wife, he gives Abram all these gifts. So if we step back and look at the picture, well, yeah, we can really justify Abram's deception in some way. And, and we can do the same in our own life. We can look at our experiences and say, well, yeah, that wasn't exactly right, but this justified that. And so often we do that, right? We allow something that isn't right or something that isn't healthy to happen in order to justify what we believe God says or God wants of us. And again, that draws us back to us putting ourselves in the seat of responsibility for accomplishing what God said as opposed to allowing God and trusting him to make it happen and us just walking in obedience to what his word is day to day. When we stand at that place, when we stand in the place of, okay, here we are. I've heard God speak this into my life. Or I've read this in scripture, and I know that this is going to be, this is truth that I'm to live, you know, um, Scripture's full of all the different um, directives, all the different encouragements and uh, examples of Christian living, right? So all that would be God's word, right? So as we hear that, 
we are faced with that choice. Am I going to fear the Lord in this? Or am I going to fear man? And it could be something very simple. Maybe you have chosen to fast for, um, for a day, and you're not going to have any food. You're walking that out because you felt like God called you to fast for that day for, um, for some purpose. So you're, you're walking out that fast, and then all of a sudden, um, a friend from, like, college who you haven't seen in years says, calls you up that morning and says, hey, I'm actually going to be in town. Let's go grab a bite to eat. And now here you are. You're in the middle of a fast. You're not eating. You think culturally, that's kind of really weird to go out to lunch with somebody and not eat. And then have them sit across from you and eat. Right? It's kind of a little awkward. Well, you don't want to like not see your friend. So you say, yeah, let's do that. But then you're faced, do I tell this person, oh, by the way, I'm fasting today. Maybe you think, well, maybe I'll fast then tomorrow since this happened, right? Or you, you think of some way to come. And all of a sudden, now these flood of thoughts and how do I respond to this come into play? Because your friend might not be a, a frightening person, but you're putting into question what God spoke in your life based on how you're going to be received. And so it's not directly the fear of the person, but it's fear of man because it's what this person might think of us. What, how is this person going to approve of my act of worship by fasting? And it creates a very difficult place for us because we're relational beings and we want to be communal. We want to be um, accepted and accepting of others. But in that moment, Right? It's not about figuring out how to make the fast happen and how to do this. But it's walking in obedience. Trusting that whatever you say to your friend, whether he gets it or not, it'll be okay. And walking in obedience to the Lord. Because fear of the Lord is greater than fear of man. And so I can walk and say, okay, even if I do face some level of like, what? That's crazy. What are you doing? That I will be okay because my God is with me. Proverbs 29 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Do you see that snare? Like when we begin to fear man, all these questions come into play. All these, well, what if I do this? Or how can I make? And all of a sudden, it gets really confusing. It gets really complicated. But if we trust in the Lord, there's safety. And then there's that ability to say, okay, God, this is what your word was. I'm going to walk in obedience to that. I'm going to trust you. So whatever happens over here might be painful. It might hurt. (laughs) But this was your word, and I want to trust you. The why question, right, so often becomes, well, God, why would you have me fast today when you knew maybe this guy was calling, right? Like, or, so, like, 
it becomes a big question. It can be. The, the, the popular phrase, right? Proverbs 1.7, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Often when, often when we're asking why, we're actually wanting to look forward and making sure this is going to work out. When the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not the fear of the Lord gives you the future of knowledge, but it's the beginning of it. And so when we fear the Lord, then as we begin to walk that out in obedience, we'll begin to understand more and more what God has for us and how God is going to make his word come to life. Fear is essential. So we're not going to go through life without ever experiencing fear. And just because all of a sudden my friend calls me up and says, let's go to lunch on a day that I had chosen to fast. And those thoughts and those questions come through my mind. I'm not trying to say that automatically I'm in this posture of fearing man. No, I'm in a posture of fearing man when I choose to sacrifice my fast to have time with my friend. So all those thoughts come. I can't stop those, right? Have you ever tried to stop a thought before it gets to you? It's impossible. You can't do it. And if you can, please come talk to me because I would love to learn how. (laughs) Um, And and so you, you can't, right? But it's the point of decision, right? It brings us to that place. And so I'm going to feel those feelings. I'm going to think those thoughts. But the question is, how am I going to walk through that? Because I'm going to be faced with the fear of culture and the fear of man around me, and I'm going to be faced with fearing the Lord. And I have to make a choice and walk that out. And when I make the choice, that becomes the moment of faith. And so faith isn't faith without some level of fear in our life. Following man and submitting to that fear, that's a lack of faith. But fear of God and stepping towards God in obedience, that's a huge act of faith. And that's what God called Abraham to, Abraham to when he calls him out of Haran. And here he is. He has some of the biggest fear of man issue right there because he's called to leave family. You ever try and step out of a, your, cult, your fa- familial culture? It's really hard sometimes. I can remember having a conversation with my family when we got to the point where like, we were having kids and stuff, and I was like, listen, I love you all. But, well, first of all, understand that I come, I'm, I'm one of six kids, so there's eight of us. And then... Um, at this point, I think four of us were married, so now there's 12 of us. And um, we said to my family, we said, we love you, but we cannot come out for everybody's birthday. Like, that's just like, that's a little much. Like, we love you, happy birthday, but we can't do it. And a, a few of my family members were just like, that's not cool. Like, we are family. Like, we need to stick together. Like, da-da-da-da. And, and it was like, oh, Okay, and I had a choice, right? I, I could have said, all right, I'm going to submit my f- immediate family 
to my, um, my family's culture. Or I'm going to say, no, this is what we need to be healthy. This is what we need to have space in our life and have balance. And I say, you know, like, I love you, and it's really hard. I know. Please don't take it the wrong way. But we want to be out here with you guys when we have time to, like, be in relationship with you, you know? When we both work and we come out on a Tuesday evening, you know, for an hour and a half, and we blow out the candles and open up, get, like, that's not quality time. We want quality time with you, you know? And so what our values were, we had to say, this is what it is, you know? And we got through it, and it was good. But that's a hard culture to step away from, right? And to walk in obedience to God is difficult. But we're called to that. And Abram does that. He steps out of Haran and he goes towards Canaan. And that's a huge act of faith where he walks in the fear of the Lord. So now if you're back in Genesis chapter 12, I'll point this out with verse 1. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. So right there, chapter 12 starts off with the directive. It it starts off with the God said, right? Like God said this, go. Here's Here's the moment where fear enters Abram's life and he has to choose. Fear of the Lord, fear of man. If you then jump to verse 19, we see what Pharaoh says. He says, why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. This is a part of Pharaoh's rebuke of Abram. And here, a Gentile, right, to use a New Testament word, but, you know, someone outside of the covenant with God says to Abram, who's supposed to be the spiritually, like, mature one here, right, go. And the go is the same go as God said when he was, when Abram was in Haran. And so it's that reminder, like, go. This is what the Lord has spoken Don't walk it out on your own strength. Trust him. Go. And and this is a part of um, what Tim was highlighting last week, as well as a part of that, that idea of the next step. What is the next step? A lot of times it's an it's a go, it's an action, it's a step of faith. It's a walk of fearing the Lord. And that's why it's, we call it today, right? Walk through fear. We don't like to feel things that are negative, right? We don't like to feel pain. It's partially why the U.S. has a huge opiate issue. Because opiates do an excellent job at numbing any emotion. And so then once you feel that numbing effect, and then you feel negative emotion again, you want to numb it again, right? And so it's a, per, it just, it's a cycle, and it builds and builds. As a culture, we don't like to feel the negative. But 
clearly we were created to feel fear. God wouldn't tell us to fear the Lord if we didn't have the ability nor the design to feel fear. So it has a purpose. It has a role to play in how we walk out our relationship with God. The choice comes to us is who are we going to fear? Are we going to fear man or are we going to fear the Lord? When we fear the Lord, then we go. We take that step of faith. The role of what God has for us, partly, is that we go forth into the nations, right? He sends his disciples out. The gospel is not to be kept here. The gospel is to be shared. And we are walking testimonies. We are living and breathing examples of the gospel. So the gospel is not supposed to be fear of man. Let me step back, right? It is fear God. Let me step out. Let me step out and reveal who God is. Let me step out and reclaim parts of this culture and parts of this land for God's kingdom. Let me step out in faith and trust that God will show up and be true to what he has spoken. Fearing the Lord also leads to communion with Christ. When we fear the Lord, then we actually walk in the same way Christ walked. By not being afraid of what man has in store. But by walking through trials, walking through pain, walking through hurt, and having faith that God is with us. Having a confidence that God never goes back on his word. And having an assurance that we are sons and daughters of the living God who's gonna, and he is going to care for us and take care of us. I like this quote from Barnhouse. It says, Faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. It is an oak tree that grows for a thousand years under the blast of the wind and rain. As you begin to experience the fear, as you encounter those moments where you are stuck and you got to choose, do I fear the Lord or do I fear man? Those will continue. I think we could probably say from the youngest of us here to the oldest of us here, we still experience those moments because God continues to speak. And so when we're in those moments, those are also moments that build up our strength, build up our spiritual muscles, build up our 
ears to hear, build up our strength to step forward and experience faith and experience what God has for us. And so, as Barnhouse says, right, like every time we're faced with a challenge, every time we're faced with a trial, every time we're faced with a temptation or a struggle or an attack from the enemy, whatever it is, that those are moments where our faith is built. So God continues to des- God continues and desires to grow our faith as a church, as families, as individuals. So in closing, um, what I like to do, um, yeah, you want to go grab Josh, <laughs> um, is just kind of invite you to come before God, all right? And so um, I do this individually. I've never done this in this kind of context, so bear with me. Hopefully this works well. If not, don't tell me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fearing man. I'm just, you know, being honest. Uh, no, um, so I want you to just close your eyes or just kind of get in a quiet space. And what I want you to do is I want you to just pay real attention to your body, and I want you to think, where is it that you most feel fear? For some of us, it might be in our heart. Some of us maybe like in our gut, kind of like our stomach down there. You feel like tense in your shoulders. And I just want you to put your hand where you feel that fear. And then I just want you to think about the, f- the fear that you have. Let yourself sit with that fear. Might be uncomfortable. Might feel like it overwhelms you. And I want you to just kind of wipe that away. Just kind of loosen up a little bit. And staying in that place, I want you to think about fearing the Lord. Allow yourself to experience that emotion of fearing the Lord. Hebrews 13, 6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Father God, as we just come before you, the fear that we have that is not the fear of you, Lord, you are our helper, and so we, um, we just give that fear to you. In those moments where we find ourselves at the apex of having to decide, who are we going to fear? Lord, you are our helper, and we just ask that you would help us fear you.
Father, may we look at Abram. May we be able to identify with that tension and that struggle, God. And God, may we grow in faith as we step out and go for fear of you, for a reverence of who you are, for a trusting of who you are, for a believing in what you've said, and for knowing that you are good and you will be with us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to.